and welcome to a brand new regular podcast here on the World Football Index. Uh, it's called The Dugout with myself, Andy Wales, and we're going to have uh, lots of different guests, lots and lots of different talking points. We're going to be taking in uh, big talking points from all around the globe, various, various different viewpoints, various different subjects from players, managers, coaches, uh, teams, styles, tactics, you name it, we will be talking about it. But today, yeah, we're going to be very much focusing upon the Bundesliga in Germany. And I'm absolutely delighted to uh, be joined by a very special guest. He is a journalist with uh, DW Sports. His name is Felix Tamsut. So, uh, Felix, welcome to the show. Absolutely delighted to have you on board. Hi, thank you for having me. Uh, Felix... Uh, we, we, we've uh, we've been having a bit of a discussion about uh, all sorts of things, including uh, beer, uh, carnival, and uh, other things, and uh, fan culture in uh, Germany, which obviously is is very much a popular thing. And and I think a, a lot of fans uh, throughout the UK are getting more and more fascinated by the by the rise of that and uh, getting getting to see much more of it and certainly getting interested in it. So it's it's a very much a strong selling point for the Bundesliga, isn't it? When uh, when you think of its its main rivals worldwide, of Serie A, the Premier League, La Liga, you think f- fan culture is certainly the unique selling point that the Bundesliga has when it's promoting its product worldwide. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's not even in question. It's something the DFL, the German Football League, um, openly says. They use stats, uh, they use attendance stats, they use footage of the hardcore support uh, when they promote uh, the Bundesliga abroad. So uh, that's not even in question. And I think as someone that, that sort of covers this field quite often, you can very easily understand why. Because it's, it is quite literally one of German football's uh, unique selling points. Because while football elsewhere develops in a very, uh, let's call it capitalistic uh, thinking, in, in, in a very business-oriented thinking, uh, football here... For the most part, of course, there are developments here and there, like uh, what happens in Leipzig and in Hoffenheim. But uh, in general, the, the the fight over the future of German football is pretty much in the hands of the fans. And that's something that I don't think many fans worldwide can be proud of. Yeah, it's it, like you say, it's certainly a very unique selling point. And, and, it, and it adds a certain atmosphere, doesn't it? Because the, the fans really do have a strong amount of power within the clubs. I mean, you were saying... You know the, the the clubs are are pretty much duty bound to uh, to take notice of what their fans are saying and what their opinions are on various different subjects, including um, most recently is you, you know viewers around around the world watching Monday night football from the Bundesliga will have noticed um, various different demonstrations in Nuremberg um, a few weeks ago. There was a whole thing with the tennis balls being thrown on the pitch, but there's been banners. And the, uh, they've been forced to act, haven't they? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, as a result of those protests, um, the DFL and the clubs um, that basically consist the DFL um, decided that uh, when the, the, they're, they're about to negotiate a new TV deal starting from the 21-22 season. And as of the next TV deal, Monday night games will not be part of that deal. Uh, and that goes for the Bundesliga and also another big victory for the fans here for the Zweite Bundesliga. Um, Monday night games have been uh, part of the second German division since, if I'm not mistaken, 
So quite a while ago, but once that wave of protests started in the in the Bundesliga, uh, one of the key issues that fans in the Bundesliga insisted on is that it's not going to stop with the Bundesliga. I mean, that's why the protests, by the way, are still going, because despite uh, the fact that Monday night games will no longer be part of the Bundesliga and the second and despite the Liga uh, from the next uh, TV contract, the third league, the, what we call the Dritte Liga, uh, still has Monday games. This league is under the responsibility of the DFB. It's not under the German Football League. And the protest will, I assume, keep going until Monday night uh, football is cancelled altogether. And that that goes for the, also for the here and now, not only for the next TV deal, which will come into effect in like three years. There's a, The next Monday night game, by the way, is going to be Fortuna Düsseldorf against Eintracht Frankfurt. There's already protests, uh, a list of protests planned by both sides. Eintracht Frankfurt fans say they won't take part in the first half of the game. They will just stay out. Dusseldorf fans, the, the, the active part, like the, the ultras, what we call, uh, also say they won't be in the ground in the first, in the third, I think, 18 minutes and 30 seconds, if I'm not mistaken. So protests are certainly ongoing and and that's not going to die down anytime soon, at least until a decision will be made. No, it should be certainly be interesting to, to uh, see that one and just quite how things develop. And, you I mean, you mentioned Eintracht Frankfurt. We will be talking about them, but uh, we will also talk um, Schalke, Schalke 04, Domenico Tedesco, uh, lots of struggles there. A new uh, head of sports being been appointed. Uh, there's the title race. We can have a little chat on that, and we might even squeeze in a little bit about the Spider Bundesliga. Who who we might expect to see uh, up back in the uh, the the Bundesliga next season. But we will start with Frankfurt. Uh, you mentioned them. You know, strong uh, strong fan base. They're very much vocal. Very very atmospheric stadium, isn't it? They're they're very very loud. They're right up there with the uh, the Westfalen Stadion in terms of noise, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the the active part of the, the, the what we call the ultras, the organized support, is such a massive part of the atmosphere in the in the Waldstadion, aka Commerzbank Arena, the Nordwest Kurve, where the where Eintracht Frankfurt's hardcore support uh, stand is uh, is one of the best uh, terraces in Germany. Constant support, very colorful, uh, very vocal also on issues that uh, involve their city and their community uh, and the atmosphere there on its day it as it's the atmosphere is as good as in any of one of the world's best stadiums I mean absolutely uh, especially when it comes to Europa League games uh, I've been there when they played the uh, Shakhtar Donetsk at home and the place was just rocking and I'm going to quite a lot of games here sometimes two three a week but you don't get to experience this atmosphere uh, a lot, even by German standards. So certainly one of the best grounds in the Bundesliga, I think. Uh, you mentioned the Europa League that uh, run there. Talk to us about that because they are doing fantastic this season. I mean, just an incredible run, banging the goals in. And I think it was uh, Jonathan Hattin that uh, actually said, they are Germany, they are the Bundesliga's best hope of European glory this season. Absolutely. I mean, uh, given the situation, if you take a look at the Champions League and how German teams do there, we know the Dortmund are officially out, Schalke are as good as out, Bayern are going to have a hard time against Liverpool. 
And Eintracht Frankfurt have become Germany's best chance of European glory this season. Absolutely. I mean, the fans sing when they, uh, one of their most famous fan chants uh, in the last couple of uh, weeks is Europa's best Mannschaft. We are Europe's best team. Statistically speaking, they're also right. They won every single game in the group stage. They beat Shakhtar at home and drew them away. Basically, they haven't lost a game the, throughout the whole of the European season, which is incredible. Uh, and uh, with the backing of, of their fans, which is, again, on, on, on its day or on its night, in this case, it's one of the, one of the best stadiums in Germany. Um, and, and with the, ba- the massive backing of their fans, I mean, they started... Um, the, their fans, it's pretty interesting because their fans started as um, we thought we take part in the Europa League. Not, not sure what's really going to get out of it, but let's take part. Let's start and see how it goes. I mean, nobody expected such a successful campaign. Uh, and once they got here, they got to uh, to play Inter Milan in the next uh, in the next knockout stage. Um, people are starting to sort of whisper that maybe there's a chance they'll go all the way. It's going to be very hard with teams like Arsenal and Chelsea in the competition, but uh, given given the football that Eintracht Frankfurt played so far, given the incredible atmosphere, I mean, who knows? Nobody believed they'll go this far, I think. So if they're here and they play good football and the backing by the fans is incredible, why not? So who knows? It's certainly going to be interesting to see where this goes. Yeah, why not indeed? I mean, you mentioned that that, that game against Inter Milan... Uh, it, it's obviously a huge opposition, but for Frankfurt, it's it's been just it's fun, isn't it? It's just been fun, uh, and you get the feeling that they can enjoy themselves. Whereas the pressure's all on Milan here. The, you know, they're the the famous club. They're going to be the team with all the expectation that that Frankfurt here could really score what would be seen as an upset. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, um, Eintracht Frankfurt come to this game um, as an underdog. I mean, Inter Milan, it's not the the huge Inter Milan we got used to from the 90s. But still, at the same time, this is a an, an incredibly big club in Europe uh, with a long-standing tradition of success. Uh, Champions League winners uh, not too long ago. Uh, with Jose Mourinho back in the day, and and uh, yeah, it's a bigger name. But again, on the night, who knows what's going to happen? They, as you said, they're here to have fun, and I think it's it it shows with how their fans react to to what happens on the pitch. You just see that even when things don't go well. I mean, the, take the Shakhtar game for example. When I was there, and there were periods of time when Shakhtar controlled the game and played the better football. I mean, you still saw lots of support and lots of chants, and it was basically non-stop. Uh, just pure belief in their team's ability and pure belief that something special might happen this year. And we all know that Italian teams tend to take the Europa League less seriously. So combine the two together, and we could be uh, we could be in for something special. Mm. I think. The, the attitude of celebration towards enjoying the tournament kind of reminds me of uh, FC Köln going into the Europa League uh, last season, beginning of last season against Arsenal. Uh, mm-hmm. And that footage of, uh, what was it, <laughs> about 30,000? 20,000, yeah. Yeah, 20,000 Köln fans marching through uh, London, um, singing the songs. You know, it, it was just incredible. And it was a sight to behold. And, and people were loving it. That The, the, the locals were blown away by this. 
and it's it kind of reminds me of that. But when when I think of what happened with Köln, how their Bundesliga form suffered, trying to balance out the the you know the two competitions, it's been quite the opposite for Frankfurt, hasn't it? Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's mostly down to the good work uh, being done, um, not only by Adi Hutel, the coach, but mostly by Freddy Bovic, the director of football. His uh, his signings have been spot on. Uh, there isn't a. I, I remember uh, discussing it with a with a couple of uh, of colleagues, and uh, every single signing that Eintracht Frankfurt made in the summer brought something in the summer and in January, of course, uh, has brought something to the team that they needed. I mean, they brought Sebastian Rode in January, uh, a player that hasn't played for quite a while at Borussia Dortmund, and uh, he brought lots of balance to the side, and he's been starting every single game ever since. Funnily enough, uh, our discussion, uh, my discussion with my colleague ended that the only player not to bring something special so far was Gonzalo Paciencia. Two days afterwards, he scored a 96-minute winner against Hoffenheim. So it just goes to show that everything works for them. It's also down to a bit of, you know, they're on a roll. But at the same time, it's just very good work being done by the director of football and their scouting. Because every single signing of theirs has been spot on so far. Uh, and moving on from last season, I mean, Niko Kovac, they, they did so well, obviously beat Bayern in the DFP Pokal final. You know, to lose the coach like that, it, it sometimes that, that can break a club. And, and you thought at the beginning of the season, uh, they, they lost to Bayern, didn't they? They got heavily beaten by Bayern in the Super Cup. And, and you kind of worried for where Frankfurt might go under Adi Hütter. But, uh, you know, they, they've really transform themselves because they've they're not quite the same team that they were are they no i mean i think with kovac they had a mentality had a constant mentality of an underdog uh even when they played uh, in the cup their their magical cup run it was all basically um a, they had a very clear underdog mentality and that worked for them because uh, when they, when it got to the later stages they were uh, factually speaking the underdog um, by the way, the same could be seen with uh, with uh, Niko Kovac's Bayern Munich. Uh, when they play in the league, their style of football is very different than the one they played against Liverpool. Because against Liverpool, uh, you could see those elements that uh, that uh, that were very clear from Eintracht Frankfurt from last season. I think the way Adi Hütter transformed Eintracht uh, is very impressive. He made them into an attacking force, into a team that uh, takes the initiative, that doesn't only stay back and, and tries to hold back in games against um, allegedly better opponent. They also try to attack. They play attractive football. Their signings, as I said, have been uh, spot on. And the brand of football that is being developed under Adi Hütter is something that's lots of fun to watch. It's attacking. It's good football. It's fun. And the fans are behind it. I mean, you could you could easily see the the, the support that their fans have for for the current uh, stature at Frankfurt because things things work. And Adi Hütter, Adi Hütter's playing system is playing exactly to that uh, sentiment. It's just football that fans love to see, and it also brings results. I mean, they're unbeaten in 2019 so far. As I said, they were lagging behind two uh, one to Hoffenheim at home. A six-point game over European football next season. I personally thought that was it, and I turned off the TV. I thought their run is over. 
But then again, I refreshed my app score and I see 3-2 in like six minutes. So things are going well for them in, in on so many levels and it's it's fantastic to see. Yeah, one thing that's certainly been going well for them is, is goals, scoring goals. Uh, and they're certainly they're getting a lot of attention. Uh, two players in particular, and, and I know you want to talk about a third one as well, but there's um, Sebastian Haller and Luka Jovic. Uh, particularly getting attention. I know Jovic, uh, leading goal scorer, such a young player, um, just an absolute revelation. And he looks um, a superstar in the making when you get him inside the box. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, Luka Jovic and Sebastian Halea have both uh, been massive parts in in Eintracht Frankfurt's success this season. They've been uh, playing um, sensational football. There is no other way of saying it. Uh, Luka Jovic with his smart finishing, with his cool-headed finishing ability, he isn't phased in like situations that you would think that... uh, uh, 21-year-old player uh, would be like important Europa League games, for an instance. Um, he just bangs the goals for fun. Um, when it comes to Haller, I think it's the most interesting. Uh, it's the more interesting case because Sebastian Haller not only bring go- brings goals. I mean, when you watch Eintracht Frankfurt's uh, attacking setup, you could just feel how important he is to their transition play. Uh, when they move from 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 defense to attack, when they do this very very quick transitions, Sebastian Haller is a key part in that. And you can see that when he doesn't play, when Adi Hütter arrests him, it it has its effects on Antoine Frankfurt's ability. Um, I think I personally feel he's the more important part. I know it's like the hipster thing to say, but I really feel that way. And yeah, and things be, things have been going going well. Both of those players have been scoring for fun. Sebastian Haller has also been assisting a lot. I think in double figures, if I'm not mistaken, already uh, this Bundesliga season. And when you add uh, Ante Rebic into the mix, uh, you just get a, a fantastic trio that everyone in Germany talks about at the moment. Yeah, uh, one thing that's kind of often been mentioned uh, with Sebastian Haller, well, it's actually two things, I'll say. Uh, one is, is is his movement, uh, being noted for having very, very intelligent movement. Uh, and the other one is this incredible record he has on penalties. <laughs> is, is it missed something like just one penalty in his career? He's scoring uh, well over 20. Yeah, uh, so that just goes to show what sort of a character Sebastian Haller has. And uh, Sebastian Haller has proven this year, also last season, but mostly this season, I think that he's uh, he's cool-headed. I mean, people, he used to have a a figure of a player that might uh, get into heated discussions and stuff like that in previous years, but uh, in the first period of time when he moved to Frankfurt. But uh, nowadays, he plays such an integral part of their game, and you could see that this responsibility also uh, does well and improves his... Uh, his entire perception on the field and how he feels on the pitch. And he's just a magnificent player to have. And I'm, I'm pretty sure that like, uh, like most people, I don't think I'll be, I'll be uh, basically revealing any secrets by saying that at some point he's going to move to a bigger side for, for lots of money. Uh, and it's going to be interesting to see how he's going to adapt himself to, to, to that. But right now, Frankfurt are enjoying from a magnificent player. And I personally hope it will also continue next season. Yeah, I, I guess, yeah, I mean, you mentioned there the of clubs coming in with money and that's got to be the fear that, that clubs will start picking this uh, this team apart. 
Uh, Luka Jovic certainly has been mentioned with with all sorts of clubs, and I know Bayern Munich have have been um, rumored to to be closely monitoring him and interested in in making a move for him, and all sorts of uh, figures being being mentioned. I mean, do you, do you think it's likely that he will move on in the summer? When it comes to Lukovic, I do think it's going to be the case, especially because of the names that you hear in his context. You hear about Barcelona, Bayern Munich, and Man United. I, I, I read Liverpool somewhere. And and th- that's the sort of names that, because it just keeps on coming up, it just seems very likely that he's going to be sold, for again, for big money, which is good for Frankfurt. But at the same time, they're going to have to find a replacement. Um, having said that, as I said before, uh, their uh, scouting setup and their director of football, uh, Bobic, are, I mean, they, they proved in, in recent years that they know their job. They, they, they just know to find those talents for small amounts of money and turn them into, into something, uh, take them to the next level, basically. Um, that's what happened with Jovic, with Rebic, with Halea. Halea was relatively expensive, cost 7 million uh, euros, if I'm not mistaken, but all the rest cost uh, like 2 million euros or less. And I do think that if anyone is capable of finding solutions, it's Eintracht Frankfurt setup. Yeah, well, it's especially with the case with Jovic, isn't it? A great piece of uh, business to, to get him, you know, not being used. Uh, Benfica, I think, wasn't it? And, you know, to, to pick him up, make him a star. And then, you know, they could be looking at uh, reportedly something in the region of uh, 60, 70, maybe even 80 million euros. It's it's an incredible piece of business. And obviously it, that can all be then invested back into the club. And like you say, with, with that kind of a scouting network, you can you can keep finding these players. Maybe you can find slightly better players and keep pushing. Just uh, maybe be a test of the uh, the club's ambitions. Do you think? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, I think uh, the way things go at Eintracht at the moment, there's uh, the fans and the, the management uh, put lots of trust in Adi Huta and in Freddy Bobic uh, in the whole uh, the whole setup at Eintracht Frankfurt because they've proven themselves before, and I think for good reason. And I do think that it's going to be a test to Eintracht Frankfurt's future. This is a club that uh, not too long ago was struggling. When Niko Kovac was appointed, they were in a relegation battle and they only uh, they only stayed up in the Bundesliga after a relegation game against, uh, against uh, a team from the second division. But at the same time, things are going well and things look um, stable when you have people like Bobic in charge. And that's the most important thing for Eintracht Frankfurt right now. Um, it's going to be a test for them, but at the same time, uh, the setup uh, is there, and it's good enough for them to to survive uh, a player like uh, like Jovic, uh, Ribic, or Alaire leaving. Uh, I certainly do think they're capable of that. Yeah, and, and I mentioned Rebic there. You think he will likely get his move this summer then? Because uh, he, he has been linked with moves before, hasn't he? Certainly after the World Cup he had. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, I think I think uh, uh, Antarebic is the relatively even before this this season. Antarebic was a well-known year, well-known name here in Germany because of the Weltpokal and worldwide because of the World Cup. And I do think that at some point they're going to cash in. 
And that also makes sense, I think. The, the, the key would be for them to do it gradually and not to lose uh, two or three key players at once. Because that might be might be might prove to be problematic for them, but I do think that with uh, the setup they have there, with uh, with uh, um, Adi Huta and Freddy Bobic having such special connections to their players, uh, such a diverse squad, uh, and and given that connection, I really think uh, they're gonna pull it off and do it relatively gradually in a way that also Eintracht Frankfurt will will sort of. Um, earn from financially and also in terms of the development of the side. So, so to me from a club who are structurally very stable and, and successful in that way, you know, the, the scouting well, everyone's working together and it's bringing success on the pitch to, uh, to a club that uh, cannot be, uh, cannot say the same for really uh, FC Schalke 04. It looked like they were, in, they were really onto something uh, last year, didn't they? Dominico Tedesco, uh, such a young coach. Uh, he'd only had half a season uh, as a professional uh, top-level coach before that, before Schalke appointed him. Ended up finishing second, coming into this season with some uh, with some high hopes, but it's it's just really uh, it's not gone to plan at all, has it? And it's Tedesco. His future's looked under uh, looked in doubt. Uh, Christian Heidel, the, the sporting director, he's now gone as well, and they've just appointed his uh, his successor, haven't they? Yeah, they've appointed Jochen Schneider, uh, a well-known name uh, in German football, uh, became uh, well-known for his uh, time as uh, Stuttgart sporting director, uh, and afterwards uh, in the Red Bull network. Uh, in various roles, whatever you may you may call the, the this whole thing, and in the press conference where it was presented, uh, Clemens Tunius, uh, the the uh, the boss of Schalke, the person that makes the decisions there, uh, said that uh, that was the first name that came to his mind, and um, it remains to be seen how it's going to work out because uh, Christian Heidel was one of the main people to come under criticism after Schalke's uh, poor start of the se- poor season in general, no longer a start. And I think in some ways, rightly so, their signings have been below par, I would say. Uh, and that's why many people uh, sort of blame Heidel more than they do Tedesco. Because as you said, Tedesco is a young coach and Tedesco afterward is it's just a third season. It's his second full season managing a club and third season uh, in general. His first being at Aue uh, uh, in the Zweite Bundesliga. So I do think they're currently they're sticking with Tedesco. I think after all the, the there was a very famous scene after they lost to Dusseldorf that uh, Domenico Tedesco stood in front of their ultras and spoke to them. He took the he took their criticism. He did not run away from it. And I think at the end of the day, as a fan, that's that's also what you want. I think the fans uh, do respect him. I think the fans do think he's a talented coach. And he's proven that last year. It remains to be seen uh, whether uh, Jochen Schneider would put his trust uh, in Tedesco. I personally think he should, despite Schalke's abysmal season, because at the end of the day, Tedesco has proven last season that he has what it takes to succeed at such a massive club like Schalke. Yeah, and and it's got to be said, I mean, Christian Heidel did did such a great job with with Mainz, but uh, I mean, something that's been, I've heard mentioned is that 
you know, he he brought from Mainz to Schalke the basically the the a similar level of of ambition in when you're looking at his signings. They they were the Mainz signings, but for Schalke, which it just didn't really fit. I mean, he brought. Uh, he brought Marcus Weinzel in, didn't he, as, as his coach, um, fired him after he uh, then appointed uh, Tedesco. But um, as you mentioned, like the, the, these are all Christian Heidel uh, signings that, that are at the club and they have not really worked out at all, have they? So I, I guess it's it's an easy way to take some of the uh, to take some of the heat off Tedesco's to say, you know, that these, these are the uh, players that he's been given to try and work with. Um, maybe we can give him a fresh chance with uh, some different players and then see how he performs next season. Yeah, absolutely. I think um, the fact that Tedesco is still there just goes to show that that Heidel took most of the criticism and, and at the end of the day also uh, he decided to, to take responsibility and resign. And as you said, the signings have been... Well, not not the level of signings that you would think a club like Schalke uh, would make. Not the level of signings that would make that would take Schalke, they would take a club like Schalke to the next level. And I think that's what they wanted to change. Because at the end of the day, I think everyone agrees that Tedesco is a good coach, has a bright future ahead of him, and it's just a matter of uh, putting the belief in him and letting him sort of carry out his plans. Also, as you mentioned, with the right players. And that's going to be interesting to see uh, what Schalke is going to do in the next uh, transfer window. There are reports uh, that they will offload 10, 11 players in the summer, uh, something in that extent. Uh, I'm not entirely sure that's the way to go because such projects have... I, I don't think that uh, such projects will will increase uh, Schalke's chances of, of succeeding. And but at the same time, that just goes to show that the plans are there, that they think that the the squad needs improving, uh, and it remains to be seen how it will be carried out in the summer. Yeah, a, a big changes, lots of big changes uh, every other year are not um, are not normally very successful unless you've got um, uh, hundreds and hundreds of millions to spend, which which um, which Schalke don't really have. So you know, a period of stability would be good for Schalke, but also, like you say, you know, you you are going to have to make some changes. But you can't just turn over an entire squad in one somewhere. It's just it's just not feasible and it's not advised. Um, but I mean, given that, how much how much kind of responsibility do you think Tedesco maybe has to take in this? Um, because they they haven't really evolved as a team and. You know they are tough to watch, aren't they? They, you know, last year they were very resolute. They were difficult to break down. They were hard to score against, and then they would they would go on and they would win games. Whereas this season, they're they're not so difficult to break down. You score against them, and it seems like that's the game plan gone. That they don't really seem to be able to change or react to a situation once they've gone behind. Yeah, absolutely. I think this season has proven that. Uh has shown that uh, Schalke's uh, uh, tactical setup needs updating, uh, that the system that worked so well last season is not new anymore. Everybody knows it. Everybody knows their their defensive system. Everybody knows their, their three at the back. Everybody knows uh, the way they press and the way they try to counter attack. And, they, and Tedesco will have to come up with new ideas. Uh, whether he's capable or not, that remains to be seen. I do think he is capable of that. Um, I do think he's the sort of coach that, given his young age and given his 
given his talent and the way he sees the game, I do believe that he has the ability to sort of uh, adjust to such a situation. But he's going to have to prove that, uh, not only to the fans, but also to, to Jochen Schneider and Clemens Tunius. Because if he won't, then he won't be in the job for, for long. So that, that combination between the, uh, the reported overhaul in the squad and Schalke's uh, tactical uh, lack of ideas, I would say, currently um, is going to be... Those two things are going to be the key to the development of the team and to see what's going to happen with them next season. Absolutely. Yeah, just one final thing then on Schalke. Because I look at them, I think, you know, a, a huge club with with a great history and, and they've got the ambition there. Uh, they go through lots of changes that, you know, they're chasing the success. And and in some ways, it kind of reminds me of Hamburg SV and, and how they would, you know, they went through different sporting directors. They went through many, many different coaches, turned over lots of different players, trying to find the trying to find the right kind of balance and, and trying to find the right blend to bring them that, that success that uh, that they craved. And and in the end, they were chasing it and chasing it and chasing it and, and ended up falling into relegation. Do, do you think there's, there is the risk that, that Schalke could become another Hamburg? I really don't think so. I think Schalke is a much is a much more stable club, if that makes sense. Uh, Heisfau, Hamburg Heisfau are just a club that became well known for its instability, for its constant state of instability. Whereas at Schalke, you do have periods of time in which you see the club being stable, you see the club uh, and the fans sort of work together. And it's just a different case. I don't think, Ham- I don't think Schalke will turn into the next Hamburg just because, first of all, Hamburg, the stories in and around Hamburg in the last couple of years have been so chaotic. There is no other way of describing it that uh, that uh, I don't think uh, any other club in Germany will be able to compete with that. At the same time, I do think they uh, need to keep that stability going even through hard times. And that's exactly where they will be tested. If they won't go with with like stable ideas and sort of ways to to stabilize the side, to sign players that fit the, the the style of play of their coach and the way they want to play football, uh, then they're gonna deteriorate and they're gonna they're gonna continue to be at the bottom side the bottom side of the table. But at the same time, Hamburg is just a different breed. I mean, just re- just a couple of days ago, there was a very small story when Hamburg played that just just shows how w- what this club is about and the, and the stories that in and around this club. It's very small, but still, I find it so um, anecdotal and, and funny. Uh, basically, there was a time when they, when they played they played last Monday and uh, the coach uh, Hannes Wolf sort of gave a note with some tactical instructions to his captain. And the cap- his captain uh, read the, the, the note and sort of threw the note away straight into the opposition's bench uh, that could read it and understand exactly what the coach just told his captain. Uh, it's just cases like this that that make Hamburg just a, a, a very, very, very different breed when it comes to chaos. Uh, having said that, they are a massive club, uh, and I do think they'll bounce back. But at the same time, I don't think I don't think Schalke are even close to that level. No. Yeah, for Hamburg terms, they've actually done. Um, <laughs> they've done quite well to keep a coach. Uh, for as long as they have, um, they're in in the uh, the Schweizer Bundesliga this season. Um, I know FC Köln the top at the moment, uh, Hamburg just behind, and then uh, Union uh, Berlin and uh, St. Pauli 
and not too far behind them either. So it's a kind of like a top four, isn't it? But you, do you think Schalke will survive? You, you you don't think there's any danger of them slipping into that um, relegation playoff position? I genuinely don't think so. Just because the the teams that fight relegations this season are so bad, um, <laughs> you have team teams like uh, Augsburg. They've just beat Dortmund, but still uh, teams like Augsburg and Stuttgart and Hanover and Nuremberg. The teams that are in complete disarray, and it's just gonna be. Uh, Basically, Schalke are not bad enough to get relegated. Uh, I don't think that's going to happen. Having said that, uh, <laughs> yeah, I, yeah it's, that. it's just what They're it not, is. Yeah, the, the bottom think, two are the bottom two, aren't they? It's I think it's only for the playoff position, really, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. If anything, they get to the playoff, and they and they should be good in the playoffs. Um, I do think they won't get that far. I don't. I don't think they'll get to the playoffs. I do think they'll finish their season early, like se- like secure their place in next season's Bundesliga season and start planning things ahead. Yeah, it's one of the reasons why I think this season's uh, relegation playoff is going to be an interesting one because the Zweite Bundesliga sides are doing well. Like the Zang Pauli, uh, Zang Pauli are are playing well right now and bringing about results uh, and Union. Uh, are also playing very stable side of style of football, and that could be the season that we'll see a relegation playoff with the Zweite Bundesliga side winning. But I don't think Schalke will get there simply because, simply put, they're not bad enough. <laughs> that's that's quite um, quite a compliment for them. They're not quite bad enough. <laughs> it's, the be- it's the it's the best compliment I give give them. A compliment. Yeah. But but who do you think will will probably go up then from this way to Bundesliga? Because we talk about them four teams, it is very tight. Obviously, FC Köln and Hartsfall came down last season. Uh, do you do you think it'll be them two going up and then between uh, uh, Union Berlin and uh, St. Pauli for the playoff? I mean, it has to be. It's just uh, both teams are not playing great football at the moment. Like I've been following uh, FC Köln home and mostly away, and the style of football they play is hardly great. But they get the results. They got uh, nine points out of the last three games, three very difficult games. And and uh, at the moment, they're first. When it comes to Hamburg, uh, it's it's even a funnier case because their style of football is it's just it's borderline boring. It's just the amount of goals they scored this season. If I'm not mistaken, we're talking about 31 or 32 goals in 25 games or 24 games. Yeah, 32 uh, goals in 24 games, yeah. Yeah, it's a very, very low number. They, they, they're they just a, this annoying team that will win 1-0 and somehow pull through the, the, the rest of the game. And it's just not the brand of football that their fans would like to see. Um, having said that, if Schalke is, too, is, is not bad enough to get relegated, I do think that at the end of the day, uh, Hamburg and Köln are too big in order not to get promoted. Uh, and that's their their results just just uh, prove that, um, despite not playing good football, they're still at the top uh, with quite a safe space. But at the same time, this weekend uh, the Hamburg derby is coming, and St. Pauli are hosting. Uh, and if Hamburg are going to lose this one, which is possible given St. Pauli's uh, recent scores and the way they play very very smart football, then it's going to be very very interesting in the city of Hamburg and in the Zweite Bundesliga in general. Yeah, I mean, I can still remember St. Pauli and, and Hamburg playing each other in the Erste Bundesliga, but those were the days. Yeah. 
indeed. Uh, but yeah, this derby, I think uh, for the first time in a long, long time, there's a derby in Hamburg that's not just about uh, local pride. Uh, it's not about breaking rights. It's about much more than that. It's about points in the fight for promotion to the Bundesliga. And if St. Pauli will manage to win that, which they can, the atmosphere is going to be incredible. And their, their results recently have been good. They've just beaten Paderborn away, one of the most difficult away days in the uh, Bundesliga. And if they're, go- they're going to pull it off and beat Hamburg at home, first of all, it's going to be incredible in terms of atmosphere. And second of all, the, the fight for promotion is going to be reopened in a way. Uh, so it's going to be a very interesting uh, weekend of football in the Zweite Bundesliga. So one final uh, point then on the on the Zweite Bundesliga is it's it's becoming a lot more popular in in recent years. Um, it's it's almost becoming like the hipster league. I find uh, I know amongst fans they're really kind of enjoying the experience. I, I know some people, so some Brits are living over, gone to move over to Germany, uh, are working over there. They've they've experienced some Zweite Bundesliga games and and they've absolutely loved the experience. You know, so cheap to get in. Really great atmosphere, you know, drinking beer on the on the stands for them. It's a new experience, but lots of fun. And and it's just so competitive as well at the top. So it's it, it's great to see the 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 second tier of German football uh, getting attention, much like uh, its its big brother does. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's why the Bundesliga has done well to sort of brand itself as the as the football romantics league. I mean, when you have teams like Union Berlin like St. Pauli, that draw big uh, big crowds also from abroad. I mean, St. Pauli, with their uh, with their whole political concept, um, that obviously brings them uh, lots of fans from all over the world. Union Berlin, with their sort of branding as the football traditionalist's favorite, um, and this is also something that has been going on for quite a while. Lots of people from the UK uh, that support Union and obviously, when you have sides like uh, like well-supported sides like Hamburg and Köln in the league, that that oh, that's always a plus. And I think, generally speaking, uh, having been to most, I think, FC Köln's away days this season, and having been to quite a few of the stadiums, the atmosphere is just so good. You get to places that uh, you would have never get to. You would have never have gone to into if it wasn't for the Zweite Bundesliga. Uh, the grounds are for the most part great, friendly. Uh, you have terraces like we're used to from from the Erste Bundesliga, such an integral part of German fan culture. And uh, yeah, the Zweite Bundesliga is, I think, and many people think it's the it's the league uh, that's more fun. Uh, than the, than its uh, bigger brother, and uh, the reason for that is that, as you mentioned, it's so competitive, both uh, up top and when it comes to the relegation uh, battle. Uh, last season, I think up until the second to last match day, if I'm not mistaken, there were six or seven teams involved in the in the uh, promotion battles. So it's always interesting. Everyone could beat anyone, quite literally, like that. It's never. It's not. It's not expected what's going to happen. It's a crazy league, and it's loads of fun, uh, mostly for the neutrals, but also for the people that actually follow uh, a certain team. I think that's also uh, contributing to the fact that many fans have gotten used to this league. I mean, we had this this case in with Union Berlin a couple of weeks ago that they were uh, one of the top can- candidates to get promoted, and their fans just didn't want that. They had a banner that saying. They're saying, oh, damn it, we're going to be promoted. 
so I think also for the fans, it became sort of the attraction for uh, the football romantics. And that's that's a fair branding, and uh, I hope long it may con- long it may continue. Yeah, indeed. Now you mentioned competitiveness there. Um, before we go, have to ask you about the uh, the Bundesliga title race because on the face of it, we have for the first time in in years a competitive title race uh, in the Bundesliga between uh, Dortmund and Bayern. Um, I, I know obviously uh, Dortmund had. The big lead, uh, that's evaporated. Um, Bayern now level on points, but just two goals behind on the goal difference. Um, how do you see this one going? Is it is it just inevitable now that uh, Bayern are going to take charge and end up winning it? That's the thing. I mean, Bayern Munich season um, has been full of ups and downs, but in the last uh, two, three months, they've been stable. They've been winning uh, games, even if it wasn't in the most beautiful uh, brand of football. Uh, at the same time, BFLB keep on good, playing the good football that got them to where they are right now. Uh, but at the same time, it seems like the efficiency is just not there. And um, I mean, they've won against Hanover recently, and it seems like they were back on winning ways. They lost to to Tottenham. I think it's a game nobody really expected them uh, to win, given the first uh, the first uh, game's result. But at the same time, I think they can be uh, encouraged by their ability because they keep on playing good football. And I think at the end of the day, it will work out for them again. I still think Dortmund are favorites. The numbers don't suggest that, but I really do think they're still the favorite just about. But what's certain is that it's going to be interesting. And again, long it may continue. Let's hope that it's going to it's going to be as interesting as possible. It's good for the league. It's good for everyone. And uh, let's see how it plays out. But I personally feel like Dortmund are going to pull it off at the end. Ooh, that's that's an interesting view. I like that one. It's uh, the the popular view now seems to be that uh, Bayern will uh, will just go on now and, and take that title. But uh, where at the De Classica when the two meet in early April, I think um, that that could end up being the title side. Do you think? Yeah, it's going to be a key game in the in the title race. I mean, uh, both teams have lots of games ahead of them. It's going to be interesting to see how Bayern's going to cope if they're going to uh, continue to play in Europe. Um, of course, the, the the Liverpool game is coming up. But at the same time, the, the the amount of games they have ahead of them would suggest that this title race is going to be interesting. Um, also with the Classica, but not only. Um, so as as we all want it to be, I think it's going to be interesting. And uh, whether Bayern will be able to to pull it off, uh, most people think so. I personally think uh, that Dortmund's brand of football is just too good in order for me not to back them. They play such incredible uh, in such an incredible style, and some of the talents in this team is just are just incredible. And this is a, this is a team we have to remember. It's a very young team. It's a team that still develops. Uh, it's a team that still sort of finds its rhythm. And the fact that the first half of the season went so well for them, one of the best uh, first Bundesliga halves ever, the second best, if I'm not mistaken, just goes to show the amount of talent in this team. I do think Favre will be able to find solutions because that's the sort of coach he is. Uh, but even if Bayern will um, will sort of pull it off and win the title, I think this BFB team has a lot to take pride in. Yeah, they, they absolutely do. Uh, Felix, it's been an absolute pleasure to to talk with you. It's some some great insight. Uh, really enjoyable going through so many different subjects there. Uh, but before we go, whereabouts can the folks uh, catch you uh, online? 
Uh, and uh, is there anything that you'd uh, like to let us know about? Um, yeah, I mean, I'm available on Twitter at uh, ftamzu. Come and follow me if you're up for uh, fan culture, fan rights, um, issues like uh, racism, anti-Semitism in German football, sexism. Those are the, the things that I cover for the most part. I go to an insane amount of games, so expect to see lots of footage from Germany's different leagues. And yeah, uh, let's hope the, the German football will keep on being interesting, will keep on being fan-oriented, will keep on being the the football romantics place. Um, <coughs> and that's what I hope for the future. And that's how I that's how I cover the game personally. And if that's that's the sort of thing you you're you're into, then yeah, my Twitter feed is 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 out there. Yeah, Thanks for having me, guys. It's been brilliant. Really I, enjoyed it. Uh, the pleasure's all ours. The pleasure's all ours. Uh, and your Twitter handle will be uh, with this when it goes out. So, so folks, make sure you do give Felix, Felix a follow. But uh, that's it for this first episode of, of The Dugout. We do hope you've enjoyed it. Uh, thank you so much for tuning in and listening. And uh, we look forward to bringing you it again. But for now, from myself, Annie Wales, it's bye-bye now. Bye-bye.